calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. Some fun news today. A new Sigler story is out in the wild. It is called Another Mother. It is in the newly published anthology AVP Ultimate Prey. And of course, AVP stands for Aliens versus Predators. This story is both an original canonical predator story and it is a sequel to my novel Aliens Phalanx. The story is set on Adagina, where Aliens Phalanx took place. AVP Ultimate Prey is available in paperback from your local bookstore. Call first before you go in to make sure they have it. If they don't have it, order it from them. Or if you want it in ebook, audiobook, or you prefer to order the paperback online, or you want to order an autographed copy, all ordering links for the above are at scottsigler.com slash ultimate prey. That is one word, no spaces. That is scottsigler.com slash ultimate prey. And there is another official Predator story of mine called Dead Man Switch due out June 21st, 2022 in an anthology titled Predator Eyes of the Demon. Very mean sounding, mean sounding name. That story is not an Aliens Phalanx sequel. That's all the news for today. Let's get you caught up on the story so far and then we're going to go up, up and away in my beautiful balloon. Previously on The Stone Wolves, in the hurricane skies above Rurgirk and its acid ocean, the Oleran and Diana Zero endured a pitched battle with the Ponsky sisters. Killian and his crew successfully grabbed the intel on the Cruncher, a Vermada superweapon. Now, they must figure out what to do with this history-changing information. Chapter 19. Skinless. With punch space came isolation and safety, at least for a little while. Aya had just been in her third ship-to-ship battle. The odds of surviving even one of those were not great. She knew those odds because she'd calculated them many times for the Fafnir project, and now she'd been in three. How much longer could her luck hold out? Long enough. It had to. She sat in her chair in the rumpus room, drinking one of Skipper's beers. 
He was in his recliner, slumped there as if he were drunk, although Aya knew he hadn't consumed a drop. He had a fresh nanocyte bandage on his head. He was very quiet, just staring out into nothing. The battle had affected him far worse than those before. Why? Goldman was on the couch, sitting the left of Beans, who was working on a portable holotank perched on the battered orange coffee table. The Sklornos' chest tentacles whipped through the interface, moving icons and manipulating data faster than Aya could track. Viden, the crazy hurrah, and Aya wasn't really sure how crazy Viden was anymore, floated at Beans's right. All three of them seemed excited, animated, agitated. Zan was there as well. The new Zan, in the shiny form of Fanaka's former watchbot. With her flying Schmeck destroyed and her walking Schmeck damaged, the unit formerly known as Peaches provided her mobility. Beans had applied strips of speaker film to the battered, round shell. Zan must have had a collection of small stuffed animals in her hold because the four-legged watchbot now had a severed, googly-eyed stuffed squirrel for a head. During the evacuation from Diana's Arrow, Zan had been willing to abandon her beloved walking Schmeck. With both ships tethered together in punch space, another thing that wasn't supposed to be possible, but I was growing used to Beans doing the impossible, Goldman had dragged the Schmeck back to Beans' workshop. The little guy would fix Zan's Schmeck. Sometime after he finished going over the data, Viden had drawn from Goldman's DNA. Aya coughed, winced from the pain in her chest and throat. She was already feeling better. It could have been so much worse, although her mouth felt like she'd licked the bottom of an ashtray, which was nasty. It's big, Bean said. Really, really big. His words drew her attention, and Skipper's as well. The grizzled old man blinked back to awareness. With a haunting stare, he looked at Goldman, Beans, and Viden. If it's big, Skipper said, then we can inform the League or the Union. Have them take it out. Goldman shook his head, slightly, as one might do when a loved one says something stupid. But it was Beans who answered. Not the bomb itself, Skipper. Nope, nope. I'm talking about the energy involved. It's weird. Weird energy. And it's a lot. I can only make out a little bit of what I see, but this tech is unlike anything I've ever seen. Considering the things Beans had created, that was saying something. Big enough to blow up a planet, Aya said. That big? All four of Beans' eye stalks angled toward the portable holotank. He was usually fast with answers, but not this time. I believe it's the opposite of that, he said. This device negates energy, takes a, l l a lot of it, and turns it into a l l lot less. Yep, yep. Aya rubbed at her throat. The first law of thermodynamics stated that destroying energy was impossible, but, well, was there any point going on and on about beans and impossibility? So it's an energy changer, Skipper said. If the Cruncher is a planet killer, Beans, what does it actually do to the planet? The Sklorno's four eyes blinked rapidly, almost comically. I don't know, he said. There's not enough data here. We need to get more data. Goldman stood, 
There isn't time. We'll be at MT-734 in five hours. Skipper rubbed at his face. Aya heard the hiss of callous skin on stubble. The Ponskys knew we were going to Rurgurk, he said, because Thorn told them. We need to figure out how Thorn knew where we were going. We'll address that in a moment. For now, we need to figure out who we're going to tell about this. We have the data. Who do we give it to so this cruncher gets dealt with? Goldman started to speak, coughed, winced. He cleared his throat. We don't have time to go over this again, he said. The Vermada are too embedded. If we send this data anywhere, Vermada agents will hear about it, and they'll tell Thorne to bug out. We have one chance to catch him and shut this thing down. Attack. Skipper shook his head. The Vermada doesn't control entire governments, Red. You think if we notify the League, the Union, and the Accord that, what, they'll ignore it? Don't bury your head in the sand, Goldman said. MT-734 is a demilitarized zone, which means to build anything there, you need approval from all three governments. Imagine the red tape. No, the Vermada doesn't control entire governments, but they clearly have enough pull to bribe the right sentients who deal with that planet. If we put out the alert, who do you think that alert will be routed to first? Undoubtedly, some of the same sentients who let Denisian laboratories build their facility there in the first place. Skipper stared at Goldman, then off into space again. Aya spoke, her words cracking from the abused throat. Screw the corrupt governments, she said. I can send out the info as a Rara Avis radcast. This stuff is right up my freak's alley. I can package up what we know about the Vermada, the Evernessia, the Cruncher, Thorn, the data we have on the bombs tech, and send it wide. All of it. Goldman looked at her with those kind eyes of his. I had a hunch the man was a wonderful father. That's an even worse idea than going direct, he said. Your freaks have talked about the Abernessia already, have they not? I instantly saw where he was going, understood the idiocy of her statement. Yeah, she said, along with hundreds of other conspiracy theories. What I send out might make a difference in the long run, but in the short term, it will be just another signal lost in the noise. The bleach-white man nodded, again faced Skipper. We know where Thorne's base is, Goldman said. We know the number of staff he has, their sensor and security tech. We can plan our assault before we reach MT-734 and go straight in. We will get there before any message from the Ponskys that we escaped can reach him. We have one shot, this shot, to hit his base before he can vacate or before he can call in reinforcements. If Thorne got the bomb off the planet, would there be any way to find it? Aya could put the word out to her freaks, maybe. Maybe with the data Beans had, there was a way to detect the things. But wasn't it better to destroy the Cruncher now, if at all possible? It is not that easy, Vidan said. There is a note in the intel that the facility may have cover for mercenaries flying hurrah fighter craft. Goldman's face wrinkled. He didn't like that news. But the planet is demilitarized, he said. They couldn't have fighter craft at the facility. 
And getting a facility permit is one thing, but no way could they station a warship in orbit if they even had one, and... His voice trailed off. His eyes narrowed in thought. In 84, the touchback went to Yall, he said. We were going to Virilliville for the galaxy bowl between the Dreadnoughts and the Jacks. When we punched out, we were attacked by four Isaacs. The Vermada was trying to kill me and was willing to blow up a GFL team bus to do it. Isaacs, I-S-A-C's. Military speak for individual sentient attack craft, meaning fighters. Goldman glanced at Killian. Quentin Barnes helped ward off that attack, Goldman said. He never trained on ship weapons, but he manned an anti-spacecraft battery where one of his teammates had died minutes earlier. Without Quentin's bravery and natural ability, the touchback would have probably been destroyed with all hands aboard. Skipper's eyes widened. He smiled slightly. Did he look proud? And why had Goldman told him that story? It could be a pocket carrier, said Zan Squirrel's Peaches. I had done radcasts on rumors of missing warships, ones that had been boarded by waves of Kretorakians. The bat's main tactic was to launch more boarding vessels than a defending ship could shoot down. Once a single Kretorakian ship breached the hull, a thousand entropic rifle-carrying bats would swarm the corridors. There was a hurrah pocket carrier, the skinless, lost in the takeover during the Battle of Sada, Aya said. The bats boarded it, tried to capture it. Legend has it that the commander of the skinless opened all external hatches and sent the ship plunging into the lower atmosphere, hoping air pressure and gases toxic to Kretorakians would kill all the bats. Supposedly, the ship went too deep and was destroyed, but the wreckage was never found. One of Beans's eye stalks glanced at Aya. Carriers are bigly huge, he said. If the Vermada had one, how could they keep that secret all this time? Not a capital-class carrier, Skipper said. A pocket carrier. They're not that much bigger than the Oleron. Instead of Isaacs and other craft residing inside, they dock on the outside. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Goldman leaned back on the couch, stared up at the ceiling. I remember hurrah pocket carriers, he said. They usually had four Isaacs with two landing craft that could each carry a platoon of Marines and supplies. Pocket carriers were supposed to let hurrah react quickly to small skirmishes or deliver supplies to ground forces in contested areas. He remembered those? That was a weird thing to say about a ship class that hadn't been produced since a decade before he was born. MT-734 is demilitarized, Aya said. How could the Vermada get away with having a carrier there, even a tiny one? There's nothing on the surface of that planet, but that doesn't stop rich tourists from visiting just to say they've been there. Someone would report it. Only if they see it, Zan said. While I may be the best in the galaxy at wrapping a ship with a false ID, I am not the only sentient that can do it. From any distance, a tourist ship would detect the ID of another tourist ship, and nothing more than that. If this is the same ship that attacked the touchback off of Yal and it was not detected there, then the Vermada has access to sentience with skills similar to mine. With the much smaller amount of traffic around MT-734, it is logical the Vermada could move the ship in for specific periods of time. It could not be there permanently, but it could come and go and stay relatively undetected. If the Oleron could pull off a stunt like that, why couldn't some other ship? Even a shucking antique warship. More reasons we can't do this, Skipper said. The Ulrin could barely handle three combat-modified light haulers. Four actual fighter craft? We'd have no chance. We're not equipped for that. Goldman sat up. We have to find a way. You saw the personnel list. 52 staff, plus Thorn, plus only five actual trained guards. Knowing the layout, we could take that place with just me, Killer, and Lulz. You're not going alone, Bean said. I will fight alongside his milkiness, and I have just the schmeck to do it. Goldman held out a hand, palm facing Beans. Beans lifted a tentacle, slapped it against the human's palm. A high five? Really? How nader? While the op didn't sound easy, it certainly didn't sound difficult. At least, not difficult enough considering the stakes. If the Vermada are so powerful and rich, Aya said, why would they put all their eggs in this one small, basically unprotected, very remote basket? Couldn't they afford to build some apex hidden base or something? 
Put their bomb factory inside a ship? Beans twitched an eye stalk her way. I can't say for sure, but I believe this bomby thingy has to be assembled in full planetary gravity. Artificial grav probably wouldn't let them calibrate it correctly. It may even require a huge mass in order to operate, just like a punch drive does. That made sense, in a way. Artificial gravity was great for keeping feet on floors, but it was a smaller, localized force, almost a loophole in physics. It wasn't the same thing as real gravity. Okay, I get that, Aya said, but five guards? And the intel says the facility doesn't have any heavy weapons? No anti-aircraft. Off-the-shelf sensor suites that I could hack in my sleep. If the intel is right, this place is so, well, so dull. Aside from that odd retractable floor, there's nothing special about the place. The hand-drawn layout showed a good-sized facility. Living quarters, workout space, an entertainment center, offices, labs, and a tiered factory area of three rectangular decks with an open space in the center. The lowest deck was actually below ground. From the drawings, it seemed that the ground-level deck had a hidden floor that could slide out, covering the lowest deck. With the right tech, that sliding floor could passively block any common scanning equipment. If an inspector was looking for the below-ground deck, the floor wouldn't be able to hide it. But if the inspector didn't know the below-ground deck existed, the floor would most likely do the trick. Nothing special is likely the point, Zan said. They may have bribed officials to get permits to build the facility, but they have no way of knowing if those same officials will be in place one, three, five years or more after the facility is built. Government personnel often have a high turnover rate. If the facility has nothing illegal, nothing out of the ordinary, then it will likely pass surprise inspection by sentients who are not on their payroll. That, too, made sense, and yet it still didn't add up. But they have all this money, Aya said, and they set up their critical operation on MT-734? Aya, Goldman said, the Vermada is a group of terrorists. They can influence corrupt individuals in a government, but as a whole, every government in the Milky Way is actively hunting for them. Not just the bats, all governments. So is the Zoroastrian Guild, or what's left of it. The Vermada aren't a mob outfit with a patina of legitimacy like Greedock the Splithead Zorana Volani's organizations. The Vermada cannot operate in the open. I wouldn't be surprised if this facility is the only building they actually control outright. Assets are traceable. Money trails are traceable. When you have the best hunters in the galaxy trying to track you down, you have to be intangible. You have to be a shadow. Skipper nodded slowly. That's why they put Thorne in charge of this. He knows how to run a small operation. Keep it quiet. It's like the base on... He looked down, stopped talking. On Laramie 3, Goldman said, where you rescued Fanaka. Yes, it's like that. But the operation on MT-734 is even smaller, even more self-contained. He must have learned his lesson. The place we need to hit is built to look like a simple research lab, 
a place studying the planet for possible commercial development. They look and act like a research facility, keeping quiet, hiding in plain sight in the middle of nowhere. No towns. No civilization. No atmosphere. No nothing. Aside from periodic supply deliveries, the place was apparently self-contained. The staff lived there for five years now. No one for them to see or talk to. No way for secrets to get out. There was a small Gans Prime station orbiting at the equator, probably charging insane prices for fuel, food, repairs. Insane prices the rich tourists would easily pay. Maybe the Vermada had the money to build an apex space, but if so, they weren't spending it. Because, as Goldman said, money left a trail. They'd built a simple facility that had quality gear, but gear available to anyone, anywhere. Gear that would not raise a single eyebrow. It struck Aya then that the Vermada strategy was similar to the one she'd employed when she'd fled the Fafner project. She had the ability to rob financial institutions, to create enormous wealth for herself, to make false identities that were damn near untraceable, but she'd done none of that. She'd almost starved. She'd hidden in a dumpster. She'd done everything she could to put out no signal at all, so there was nothing to track. She'd had the Fafner project after her. The Vermada had the entire galaxy after them. They're playing it smart, she said. So smart that it gives us a window to go in and shut them down. Ironic. Goldman shook his head. Not ironic at all. If they'd done it any different, they wouldn't be this close to finishing. Somewhere along the line, they made a mistake, and info got out. If they hadn't made that mistake, he shrugged. No one might have ever known about the cruncher. Skipper was starting to stare off into his own little world again. There were bigger questions to be asked. If no one else would speak up, Aya would. It could already be finished, she said. The cruncher could already be gone. If it is, can we track it somehow? Maybe by that weird energy signal Beans was talking about? And how big is it? I don't know the answer to your first question, the Sklorno said. I've already discussed this with Beaton, and we have some theories, but nothing for certain. As for the size of the cruncher, if it is what these unassembled parts represent, they're around 12 meters long, 2.5 meters high, and 2.4 meters wide. The planet killer wasn't tiny, which was good, but it wasn't huge either, which was bad. Even if beans could find a way to detect it, that detection method would have a fixed range, something the cruncher size could be hidden almost anywhere across the galaxy, or almost anywhere on a targeted planet. Skipper looked up. The haunted expression in his eyes broke Aya's heart. It doesn't matter, he said. Aya's right. Thorn probably already moved the bomb somewhere else. Viden's wings fluttered. She rose slightly higher. Then we will find out together, she said. Destiny is forsworn to guide the righteous into the fray, to be an obstacle to the march 
of evil. Aya groaned inside. Just because the hurrah had, possibly, been right about one conspiracy theory didn't mean she was right about the others. Her empty platitudes in gibberish-speak grew annoying. But still, she had a point. Red was ready to leave you to die, Lulz, Skipper said. He ordered that tether cut. And you still want to help him with this? The hurrah's wings stopped rippling for a moment. Just as she had before, she started to slowly tilt to the right. Red Wire made the correct call, Lidan said. The same call I would have made. An individual life is not more important than billions of lives. Was she right about that? Aya didn't know. Maybe it depended on the individual in question. Still, billions. We're already on our way there, Skipper, Aya said. It's not like we can bail out of a punch space jump. We pop in, we see what we can see. If it isn't doable, we punch someplace else. Laura, maybe. Goldman turned his stare on Aya. We're not punching away from MT-734. If I have a chance to stop Thorn, I'm taking it, no matter what the cost. What if we turn away from this and they hit a big planet? What if they hit Tower or Earth or... He took a step closer to Skipper. What if we shy away from this one moment and they hit Ionath? Home to my family. Home of the Krakens. Skipper's eyes widened. He blinked fast, as if he were recovering from a slap. The Krakens? If the cruncher was real, if it worked, entire planets could be wiped out. And Goldman was talking about a football team? Well, sure, he was on that team, or had been before he was arrested. But why would he say that? And why would Skipper react like that when he... Ionath, where Goldman lived. Ionath, where the Krakens played. Ionath, where Quentin Barnes lived. Aya stared at the old man in the chair. How could she have missed it? Sure, she knew Skipper looked like Barnes, but how had she not realized just how much the two men looked alike? One young and one old. Shock me, Aya said. Skipper, is Quentin Barnes your son? Zan's four-legged spider schmeck crawled across the top of the couch, came closer to Aya. You are being ridiculous, Zan said. Of course Barnes is not Skipper's offspring. Aya realized something else at that moment. She realized that Zan rarely lied because Zan was horrible at it. INF, Skipper said. I guess, I guess I didn't think about it like that. Goldman crossed his arms, nodded. No one was going to answer Aya's question? That didn't matter. What she now understood, what she had seen, it could never be unseen. You're right. Skipper said. To whom exactly he said that, Aya wasn't sure. Skipper's face changed, sliding from slack-jawed bewilderment into a tight-lipped expression of grim determination. 
You're right, he said again. If we have a shot at this, before Thorn can get away, before he can move whatever this cruncher is, then we need to take it, no matter what the risks. He glanced around the rumpus room, looking at each sentient in turn. I am going to help Redwire with this, but I can't make anyone else do that, and we have a second ship. By the time we come out of punch space, we can make enough repairs to Diana Zero that Red and I can take that down to MT-734. The Ulren can punch away immediately, as I has said. We are going to possibly attack a Vermada base, a base run by the deadliest, most ruthless sentience in the galaxy. If anyone opts out, you can take the Ulren and go. Aya leaned back in her chair. He was giving away the ship? What would happen if Diana Zero crashed or the temporary repairs broke down? Viden's wings started rippling again. She righted herself. The arrow is mine, she said to Skipper. It isn't yours to command. Skipper's eyes narrowed. It is now. If you don't like it, that's fine. Take the old run and go. Red and I will manage. This is probably a one-way ticket regardless. Yitzhak Goldman nodded, the corners of his mouth turning up in a small smile. I agree, he said. Killer and I are doing this. Lulz, you hid in a place where no one should go, and this conflict still found you. Thorne's going to hunt you down sooner or later. Would you rather take him on alone, or with the stone wolves at your side? A shiver ran through the hurrah's body. A few flakes of skin fell off. Aya really needed to get that girl some lotion. I will fight with you, Viden said. And for the first time, she sounded completely sane. The lights of the darkness and the darkness of the light will guide us this one last time. Well, almost completely sane. I am in, Bean said. Where his milkiness goes, so g goes I. Zan's spider legs jittered as the squirrel face again turned to Aya. I have seen a planet die, Zan said. I will not stand by while it happens again. Seen a planet die? What did that even mean? Aya took a slow breath. If she didn't join the attack, she could own the Oleron. She'd never owned property before. One of the fastest ships in the galaxy, and the only one with a double punch drive? Hers? Home. The Oleron was home. But not because of the hole that protected her from the void, and not because of the cabin that held her things. This place was home because of the three sentients waiting for her answer. Beans, Zan, and Skipper. She'd survived three battles. What were the odds of living through a fourth? Not good. But that didn't matter. Two ships are better than one, she said. Maybe I'll inherit the Ulleran someday, but not today. Skipper, what are your orders? The Skipper stood. When he did, the years seemed to pour off him. Shooting down that hauler had affected him deeply, but whatever ghost that act had brought to life 
he was putting it back in the grave. He began to pace, making a steady lap around the rumpus room as he talked. Let's go over what we know, or at least what we think we know, based on intel extracted from Red. The facility has basic sensors that Aya can defeat. We'll assume they have more than that, but we won't know until we go in. They may have a small carrier with up to four fighter craft, possibly of hurrah design. If there are hurrah pilots in those fighter craft, and we fly straight in and target the base directly, we'll be slaughtered. We don't want to attack directly anyway, Goldman said. We need to capture the Cruncher tech. Skipper stopped cold. We are not capturing anything, he said. If this tech can kill planets, I don't want it in the guild's hands instead of the Ramadas. I don't want it in anyone's hands. We destroy it. Skipper and Goldman locked eyes. Aya held her breath as the battle of wills made the room thick with tension. Let's debate that later, Goldman said. For now, I agree that a direct attack is a bad idea. If that carrier is nearby and has hurrah-built fighters and experienced hurrah pilots, both the Olrin and the Arrow are toast. Aya knew enough about mission planning to know he was right. On Rurgirk, the Olerun had used almost all the ship-to-ship missiles it had. Only two left. Even if both hit, which was doubtful, considering the abilities of hurrah fighter craft, that only accounted for half the potential threats. What if we don't come straight in? Aya asked. If we don't attack the facility directly, how close can we get? One spider leg rose slightly, set back down. Within two kilometers, Zan said. I have 100% confidence that we can land that close and they will not know we are there. Two clicks on foot across open, barren terrain. There's a lot of granite outcroppings and hills, Aya said. I can draw us an approach map that will completely hide us from line of sight. And if the schematics are accurate... I can hide our approach from any sensors the facility has. Skipper nodded as he walked, completing a second lap around the rumpus room, starting a third. So we go in on foot, he said. Aya, can you get us into the facility itself undetected? The billion credit question. Probably, she said. But I won't know for sure until we get there. Skipper stopped walking. He scratched at his stubble. Everyone waited. We'll go in on foot, he said. Beans, I need you to finish all repairs on both the Olerin and the Arrow before we reach MT-734. Do whatever it takes, but make sure we have full acceleration and maneuverability at our disposal. Skipper looked at Goldman. Red, you help Beans. Make sure both ships are as capable as they can be. Lulz, I need you to show Beans everything about the Arrow's engines and nav controls. Got it? The tips of the Hurrah's mouth flaps pressed together. I understand, she said. Skipper then looked at Aya. This man wasn't the drunkard she'd come to know, not even close. Aya, you get that radcast recorded and program it on an SOS punch beacon. Zan. Make sure that beacon auto-launches in the event of the Olerun's destruction. 
We might die, but at least some of the information we have will get out. Aya nodded. She couldn't even speak. This man was a leader of sentience. An inspiring, deadly, frightening leader. Thorn knew we were going to Rurgurk, he said. He had time to notify the Ponskis. That means Fanaka planted a tracker somewhere on this ship. Not just a tracker. Something that can actually listen to us and transmit information. The only way he could have gotten the Ponskis to Rurgurk in time is if he heard us talking about going there. If we don't find that tracker and the pocket carrier is waiting for us, we'll have fighters on us the moment we come out of punch space. Even with a second punch drive, we won't get away in time. Zan raised one spider leg and wobbled. She was still getting used to controlling the machine. There is no tracker, she said. It is impossible. I scanned the ship myself, both while Fanaka was here and after her death. Aya found her voice. So have I, she said. I've gone over the rumpus room, the bridge, and the galley with every trick I know. There are no recording devices in either place, no bugs. Maybe Fanaka planted a tracker that we missed, but as for hearing our conversations, there's nothing like that here. Beans reached out a tentacle, turned off the portable holotank. Uh-oh, he said. I think this is my fault. All eyes turned to him. That empty storage drive in Peach's chassis, he said. When Fanaka came aboard, I don't think it was empty. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.